Out front next, the breaking news, a historic decision by the Colorado Supreme Court tonight, moments ago, the court ruling disqualifying Trump from running in that state. Named to not be on the primary ballot, Trump vowing to swiftly appeal. It's a crucial ruling. Will other states follow? Also breaking tonight, Israel says it's ready for a week-long pause in the fighting in exchange for the release of more hostages. The reporter just breaking this news with the terms is my guest. And the live spectacular pictures from Iceland. Lava at one point blowing so fast it could fill up an Olympic-sized pool in 20 seconds. We're live near the volcano with our Fred Plaitkin. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. And this is important. The Colorado Supreme Court ruling just moments ago that former President Trump should be removed from Colorado's primary ballot. Now, the consequences of this decision are obviously enormous. The court upholding a trial judge's decision that Trump engaged in the January 6th insurrection. And the Colorado Supreme Court saying that, therefore, if he engaged in that insurrection, he is not eligible to be a presidential candidate because of the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban. Now, that ban comes from the Civil War era. It says that a person is ineligible to be on the ballot, to to be president, if they, quote, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So tonight's decision tees up an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States, which could settle the matter for the entire nation before the presidential Republican primaries kick off in January. But talk about the speed with which this would have to move. Evan Perez is live out front in Washington. Okay, Evan, um, this is not what most people expected. I don't know what they expected, but this was not it. (laughs) So here we are. Um, You've had a chance. 133-page ruling should note it was 4-3, right? This was not unanimous. There are dissents here. What else does the Colorado Supreme Court's uh, decision say? Well, Aaron, I'll read you just uh, from the the first page of this opinion, and it's an extraordinary (laughs) opinion. It's very long, and uh, it's clear that the justices or the the judges here uh, went through all of the the record in this case, including the district court opinion. Uh, I'll read you just what they say here. They say a majority of the court holds that President Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment in the, uh, to the United States Constitution. As you pointed out, that's uh, the section that uh, says that uh, you cannot be senator or representative of Congress or elector or president, vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States uh, uh, if you supported Uh, if you uh, took an oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in an insurrection. Now, the district court had previously said that President Trump, former President Trump, did engage in insurrection, but out of technicality saying because this this section of the of the 14th amendment does not specifically say that the office of president is subject to it, that President Trump could stay on the ballot. What this court says is no. Uh, they reversed uh, part of the, the ruling there, saying that uh, he does fall under this. And I'll read you just a part of where they review the district court's finding, and they mm-hmm. say this. They say, in conducting our independent review of the district court's factual findings, we agree that President Trump intended that his speech would result in the use of violence or lawless, in, uh, lawless action on January 6th to prevent the tr- peaceful transfer of power. And... Look, they go through chapter and verse of the actions of the former president 
on January 6th. They talk about the fact that well before January 6th, uh, Donald Trump had begun laying the groundwork for saying that the, that the election was going to be rigged. So they go through all of this and go to his intent. And uh, Aaron, look, it's very important that the district court first ruled that Donald Trump essentially was an insurrectionist. And this court says, we agree. And as a result of that, he is disqualified, Aaron. All right. So then what happens from here? You know, you talk about this Supreme Court ruling, uh, possibly, right, this being sent up to the Supreme right. Court. Well, the, the primaries start in weeks. Right, exactly. And even more <coughs> important than the primaries, uh, it, the, the, uh, the Colorado Secretary of State is required to certify the content of the, uh, of the primary, uh, presidential primary ballot uh, on January 5th. So what they've done here is they've at least suspended their ruling. They've stayed their ruling saying that if Donald Trump goes to the Supreme Court, then uh, the, the, the Secretary of State is allowed to keep Donald Trump on the ballot pending whatever the, 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 the federal Supreme Court decides. Now, what they say here, though, <clears throat> is that obviously this ruling will stand until then, and, and so Donald Trump will be on the ballot. Um, what we don't know is, obviously, what the, Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court will do. It's almost certain that they're, gonna, gonna, they're going to want to renew, re review this. Uh, yeah. A reminder, uh, Aaron, that uh, Colorado votes in early March, that's when the Republican primary is uh, set to happen in Colorado. And so the Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court, has until then to make a finding. All right. Thank you very much, Evan. And of course, you know, then there's the time to, to print a ballot. I mean, there's, you know, logistical uh, issues right. uh, that goes with all that as well when you talk about some people moving by mail. All right. I want to go to Eric Olson now. He's one of the attorneys who argued this case for the plaintiffs. And Eric, I appreciate your time. As I said, we knew there was going to be a decision. I don't know that very many people expected it to be quite like this. Maybe you are one of them. The court did rule in your favor, not unanimous. It was 4-3. What was your reaction when you first saw this moments ago? I was thrilled and, and proud to be uh, <clears throat> in America where courts can hear disputes like this. We had six Colorado voters put on an <clears throat> equal footing with a former president. Each got to put on our case. The district court ruled, uh, found facts, and, and ruled on the law. One way the Colorado Supreme Court reviewed that work, agreed with the factual findings, but disagreed with one important legal finding, but found that he was, uh, in the end, Donald Trump was disqualified under the Constitution to be on the ballot. Right. And of course, the original ruling was, was inconsistent, right? It said he engaged in insurrection, uh, and, and, but, but it was okay for him to be on the ballot. I'm shorthanding it, but that was the inconsistency that was being probed here. Yep. Now, the Trump campaign obviously says tonight that it's going to swiftly, that's the word they used, file an appeal to the United States Supreme Court. This is where uh, the margin that I just mentioned is important, right? This was not, not unanimous. It was a 4-3 decision. Um, uh, uh, Trump's campaign, of course, is saying that all seven were appointed by Democrats. Seems to be besides the point because it was a split ruling, uh, four three. But nonetheless, what are you are you ready for this? I mean, this is going to obviously come very very quickly. Yes, we're ready for this. Colorado <laughs> law allows for these challenges to occur very quickly. We had a you know tried a case, argued an appeal. Uh, we of course know that the Supreme Court is a likely destination um, for this decision, and we're ready to present our arguments and optimize their review of. The Colorado courts kitched to both the facts and the law here. All right. So I want to just ask you about these dissents. And I haven't had a chance to read all of them myself. I'm sure you have. But obviously, it was 4-3. The Chief Justice uh, Boatwright was uh, among the dissents, right? So the Chief Justice of the Colorado Supreme 
Uh, and in part, uh, the writing here is that dismissal is per particularly appropriate here because the electors brought their challenge without a determination from a proceeding. For example, a prosecution for an insurrection-related insurrection offense. And uh, Justice Samer uh, seems to also concur with that, right? That determination that the former president engaged in insurrection uh, was put in by a judge in a ruling, but not determined by a, a jury or in, in a full due process setting. What's your response to that? Thanks, Ed. I'd say two things in response. First, President Trump had all the opportunity he needed to put on the witnesses and call the evidence that he wanted to. He chose not to testify. He chose not to use all the hours of trial allocated to him. He chose not to uh, call witnesses remotely like like we did. Um, actually, called one witness remotely, but, but he, he didn't take full advantage of, of the, the due process that was here. And second, our Constitution is clear that you become disqualified once you engage in the insurrection. There is no need for a specific finding by a court or a tribunal uh, for that disqualification to attach. And all that the courts did here was confirm that the conduct that Donald Trump engaged in leading up to and on January 6th met the definition of engage in insurrection. And that's the process the Constitution expects. And that's the process that Donald Trump received in this case. And of course, though, when you look at the, um, the Department of Justice and Jack Smith special counsel, right, they haven't yet proven that in a court of in a court of law. Um, how do you feel about your odds with the Supreme Court, given that? Well, I think that the civil and criminal uh, differences are, are significant here. Mm. There's no uh, fundamental right to be a presidential candidate, unlike the, where the, your liberty interest when you're a criminal defendant. And so we think and hope that the, the U.S. Supreme Court does what the two courts that have heard this case so far have done in Colorado, which is thoughtfully and carefully look at the facts and the law. And we believe the conclusion is clear. So again, we're optimistic uh, about how the U.S. Supreme Court will review this, particularly given the <clears throat> care and hard work that the Colorado courts uh, engaged in here. All right. Well, Eric, I very much appreciate your time. As you say, you're thrilled and, and no doubt about it. Obviously, a very significant uh, win for your team tonight. And I thank you very much for your time. Out front now, David Axelrod, the former senior advisor to President Obama, along with Joan Biskupic, our senior Supreme Court analyst who joins me uh, on the phone. David, um, look, this is seismic. You've run presidential campaigns. You've got a, a, a primary election, Colorado, beginning of March. You've got to print all the ballots. You've got to yeah. do all this. And right now, you, you, you have the former president of the United States from the Colorado Supreme Court. They said, take his name off it. How do you even respond to that if you're, you're a campaign? I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's safe to say this was a seismic ruling. Uh, well, there's no question about it, Aaron. Uh, one thing that hasn't been mentioned is that three other states have gone the other way in right. terms of the, how states courts handle these challenges. So, of course, the Supreme Court is going to have to sort this out because you can't have individual states deciding uh, this question. Uh, but uh, if you're look, I, I don't think it's any secret how the Trump campaign is going to handle it. They're going to handle it the way they've handled everything else. They're going to say this is a, a judicial fiat to deprive people of their choice. And there are tens of millions of men. Look, the guy is 50 points ahead in the Republican primary for president here. So they're going to say this is an effort on the part of, you know, and as you read earlier, they're already blaming, you know, Democrats and Biden and all of that right. uh, to try and deprive people of their choice. And so it's seismic. I mean, the legal question is is seismic and Joan can address that. The political question is seismic as well, because 
what would happen actually if the Supreme Court of, uh, adopts this position and prevents Trump from running before he's even tried on this, by the way, he does have a trial coming up right. ostensibly <laughs> in March where they will act, they will hear uh, facts uh, around his activities leading up to the insurrection. Uh, but what what is the impact on a country that's already badly divided uh, of a decision like this where people are tens of millions of Americans are told you can't vote for the candidate of your choice. I'm very, very torn about that because I think what he did was the most right. heinous thing a president can do. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, we, 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 we don't want to rip the country apart and we're faced in history from time to time with questions like this. And now it's in the lap of the Supreme Court. Right. I mean, Joan, this is the point, uh, you know, when you, you, you take, as David points out, three other states have ruled the other way. And yet you have this coming out tonight, uh, a seismic event, a significant decision, granted a split Colorado Supreme Court 4-3, the chief justice among the dissenting. How consequential is this? Uh, I I can't overstate the consequences of this evening. And I also want to stress how we now have two major, very critical Trump election issues barreling toward the court. They will have to decide both of these one way or another. And the other case, of course, is whether he is immune from criminal prosecution for election subversion. That's the case brought by special counsel Jack Smith that's now pending up there. And we may know by the end of this week whether the justices will hear that one on an expedited schedule or have it first heard by a U.S. appellate court at both of these are huge issues. You know, when I when we even wrote about the immunity question last week, we talked about how novel it was and how unprecedented in the context of the uh, Jack Smith um, uh, election subversion uh, right. controversy. But this one, this one is really um, so novel because we it's just never been tested in this era at all. Uh, the Fourteenth Amendment case, uh, query, and as David rightly points out. Other uh, other state courts have gone the other way. This one, I think both of them need to be resolved quickly, and only these nine justices are able to resolve it. And I, I do want to remind everyone about how even when Donald Trump was in office, every single case of his, uh, it, from administration policy to his own business cases that came to the court, they were all yeah. fraught. And these are especially fraught because they will affect his election prospects, especially the Colorado one most directly. And, you know, I, I know that um, from from what I've, what I've heard in the discussion so far, uh, yeah. Aaron, is that, of course, Colorado election officials have said that this matter has to be settled uh, by the first week in January, around January 5th, which is the deadline to, you know, get the list of candidates on the uh, for the GOP primary. But they also and they also had the issue of overseas ballots, as I understand it, that there's a, a deadline for when those have to go out. And oh, if, right. if this whole thing is just stayed and kind of put on hold, what happens to voters who receive the ballots that have Donald Trump's name on them? Because, of course, the ruling that just came tonight <laughs> has been postponed. You know, is is some harm already done now? You know, again, this this is a heavier lift for the challengers than the immunity case. I think this is a very, very hard case for the U.S. Supreme Court. But look at, you know, the challenge, the voters who challenged uh, Trump's name on the ballot. They just won. 
So, you know, it's it won't be unheard of if they somehow yeah. prevail at the Supreme Court. But it is a, a, a higher mountain to climb, whereas the, the immunity question that Jack Smith is is bringing, that has a little bit more grounding. And I could see I could see him prevailing in a way that maybe uh, uh, Trump, uh, the mm. challengers here don't don't right. prevail. So, and uh Go ahead, Aaron. Uh, no, I was just going to say, you know, David, points Jones saying, right, when you read through, and I, and I, and I don't want to overemphasize it, but the chief justice of the Colorado Supreme Court was among the dissent, right? It was a 4-3 ruling, saying uh, that you, you have not had a prosecution for it causing the insurrection, right? That you had to wait for that step before you take someone off the ballot. To that point, and that'll go before the Supreme Court, but to that point, uh, you know, I was talking earlier to someone in another state where this is an issue. And this person said, this will only supercharge the extremists. By the way, this person's a Republican. What do you say yep. to that? That, this, yep. that that's what the outcome of Without this may question. be? Listen, there is, there is a, 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 a loud minority in this country that believe that the last election, because Trump has told them again and again, and his supporters have, uh, <clears throat> have backed him on this, that there was something untoward about the last election, that it was stolen, that he was the uh, true winner of that election. And, you know, 60 to 70 percent of Republicans believe that. The people who attacked the Capitol on January 6th did so thinking they were doing their constitutional duty right. because they thought that something untoward has happened. So you can imagine the reaction if he is taken off the ballot. All right. Uh, David Axelrod, thank you very much. Joan Biskupic, thank very much to you. I want to go to Ty Cobb now, the former Trump White House lawyer. So, Ty, 133 pages, uh, and then you have the uh, the three dissents, which I'm, I'm trying to work my way through here. From what you've seen, what do you take away? So I, the way I see this is, um, is that... Um, the Supreme Court has to take this. They can stay the dates in Colorado. They'll move expeditiously. Um, I, I was struck by the majority opinion uh, and the amount of verbiage devoted to so the sort of straw men arguments. Um, you know, the real key issue in this case is, is Trump an officer in, in the, of the United States in the context in which that term is used in Article Three of the Fourteenth Amendment, <coughs> right, and and in 2010, you know, um, Chief Justice Roberts explained in Free Enterprise um, that um, that people don't vote for officers of the United States. Article Two, officers of the United States, is commonly understood in the Constitution uh, to refer to appointed officials, and hmm. to the extent that the president or the vice president are included as an officer or included within um, the admonitions of the Constitution, they are typically highlighted, like in the impeachment clause, which specifically says president, oh. vice president. Um, so I think this case will be handled quickly. I think it could be 9-0 in the Supreme Court for Trump. Um, and can I just say, Ty, that would be, I mean, that yeah. would, I, I, I emphasize, I don't ever like talking about who appointed whom because you like to just believe right. in the impartiality of justice. But nonetheless, it has become important. So because Trump's already pointing out, oh, the Colorado Supreme Court, they were all appointed by Democrats. OK, sure. It's a 4-3 ruling. They didn't all rule against you. Uh, a Supreme Court, right. you know, where we often hear about how <laughs> politicized it is. You, if, 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 and, and I know we're, we're looking in a, into the distance here. But if you're looking at 9-0, that will sure be a statement.
Yeah, I think, I mean, so I'm, so I think I do believe it could be 9-0 because I think the law is clear. And as, and as you'll recall, I was once an advocate of this position. There have been multiple law review articles, the most prominent by Bill Vaud and his colleague. Um, um, uh, I was on a panel with uh, Professor Vaud at the University of Chicago um, Institute of Politics discussing this and uh, heard his views uh, and, and, his, and his scholarship is is excellent. On the other hand, there's there are multiple competing scholars who who disagree and highlight uh, the point that I just made um, about the multiple Supreme Court decisions, which are three, uh, that um, uh, do not conclude that officers, as used in the context as this context, uh, are um, uh, include the president or the vice president. And 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 after. I mean, there have been many constitutional professors, Steve Calabresi of Northwestern, probably the most prominent one, who, after reading you know, all the scholarship, changed his mind. He was originally a supporter of the idea uh, that this outcome was appropriate, but uh, mm. he later concluded, despite his strong feelings against Trump, that Trump would have to be beaten at the ballot box, and I think, uh, sadly, that's the case. Um, uh, and it will it will be a race to get there. I mean, the Supreme Court, though, will not hesitate to move quickly on this. They know what the stakes are. They know what their responsibility is. Right. Um, and and they can delay some of these Colorado dates to the extent that they feel they're obligated to or have to. Right now. Um, and obviously his name remains on the ballot until they rule one way or the other. Uh, right. That was a, one of the predicates of the, of the ruling today out of Colorado. Uh, you hear the music, Ty. That music is from Trump's uh, rally in Waterloo, Iowa. He's there and he's on stage. And right now he's basking uh, in the uh, in the music and the in the crowd. And then he'll 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 obviously speak. Now we have this statement, um, but I think that when I just said to David Axelrod that a Republican in another swing state who is dealing with some of these issues comment was that this ruling would supercharge the extremists. You know Sadly, what do you think? True. As he walks out that. there, is this something he sees as? basically a win in a certain sense oh oh totally oh totally this is this vindicates his insistence that this is a political conspiracy to interfere with the election and that uh you know that he's the target and people shouldn't tolerate that in america it's it's you know duda but but that's his that's the way he tries to sell this now the reality is he committed these crimes in 2021 um, you know, the, the Jack Smith's only been on the job for uh, 13 months at most. Um, so this is, you know, justice has moved relatively speedy. Uh, this hasn't been stalled to attack the election. No, no, it is, though. I, 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 I didn't mean to laugh. I wasn't laughing like it was humorous, but speedy, um, I suppose, by the rules of the law. To so many, it, it doesn't feel that way. But but I understand your point. Uh, the way the, the law works, uh, it has the courts. All right, Ty Cobb, thank you very much. Uh, as we get more, uh, we'll, we'll be back with Ty. Our breaking news coverage continues, though, here uh, with the crucial question. How will the decision to remove Trump from the ballot play on the campaign trail and with voters receiving this news? We also have more breaking news this hour. Israel reportedly open to a truce in order to free dozens of hostages. Uh, it could be a deal much better for Hamas than the last one. And the reporter who just broke that story along with the Israeli ambassador to the United States, will both be out front. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Breaking news. Trump just taking the stage in Iowa after a stunning ruling in Colorado, kicking him off the state's presidential ballot. His campaign just releasing a statement calling the decision, quote, deeply undemocratic. He is speaking there live, as you can see in Waterloo, Iowa, uh, at a gathering right now. So uh, this is a live image. And Jeff Zeleny is out front live there at Trump's rally. So, uh, Jeff, you know, we saw him take the stage and he took quite a while to actually start talking. There was the music and uh, people clapping. Uh, do people in the room know what happened? Obviously, he's put a statement out. I mean, what's the the, the, the vibe there? Well, Aaron, there's no doubt that people who've been waiting here for the former president for the last several hours uh, have read the news on their iPhones. We talked to a couple supporters, and quite frankly, this uh, all sort of blends together. One woman told me that yet another court case against Trump. And if passed his prologue here, uh, he certainly has uh, gained support, and it certainly has just consolidated uh, his supporters behind him. We will see if he addresses that to this evening. He is not yet, as you said. He's just uh, now focusing on the Iowa caucuses. He's really urging a uh, calling for a decisive victory. He said a victory on January 15th can put this to bed and send his rivals home. But there is no doubt his campaign, his advisors, his team are focused squarely on this Colorado decision. And you mentioned that statement that just came out a few moments ago. Let's take a look at that from his campaign. It said this, the Colorado Supreme Court issued a completely flawed decision tonight and we will swiftly file an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. We have full confidence the U.S. Supreme Court will quickly rule in our favor and finally put an end to these un-American lawsuits. Just a few moments ago, the campaign sent out a fundraising appeal based on that Colorado ruling. So, Aaron, we have seen this movie many times before in different types of rulings. This case, of course, is incredibly different. It's about his name being on the ballot. But we know his supporters rally to his defense. So his advisors say they expect him to address it here tonight at his uh, rally here in Iowa. Uh, we will see if he does. But we know his supporters uh, enjoy um, coming to his defense at moments like this. And I expect it to be the same, Aaron. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jeff Zeleny. And of course, Jeff is there. So uh, if Trump says something about worth sharing, we will share it with you. Out front now, Scott Jennings, former senior advisor to Mitch McConnell and Amy Walter, the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Cook Political Report. Okay. Thanks so much to both of you. So, Scott, uh, Jeff Zeleny talking about the reaction in that room. Said people came there, they waited for hours, they'd seen the news, uh, and this is, it seems to blend together for them, but these are the moments they wait for. They wait for, and they will come to his defense. It sort of fits with what the Republican operative told me, that this will supercharge the extremists uh, who believe uh, that democracy is being stolen. So what does this mean for his campaign? Do you anticipate this fundraising email going out, being another record? Does this move the needle? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is more jet fuel for this campaign. Every time he's had an interaction with the legal system, he has seen a boost among Republicans. And now, once again, I suspect he'll be blessed with, other than Chris Christie, a bunch of opponents 
who are going to wind up praising him and defending him tonight, just as they have in the other instances. I think for the biggest sort of liberal Trump haters out there, this is like getting drunk at your office Christmas party. Seemed like a good idea on Friday night. Really going to regret it on Monday morning because this <laughs> validates everything Donald Trump has been trying to tell the American people, which is that there's a whole system at the federal and now state level trying to keep me uh, away from the White House. It's rigged. You know, all the, you know, all the language he uses. Yep. And this will be evidence for those claims. I'm sure we're going to hear it in Iowa tonight. And and uh, boy, this I I suspect will definitely take the sales out of the Haley boomlet that's uh, supposedly going on right now. Well, and that's fascinating. I mean, Amy, you know, to that point, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, he wants to get attention on this. And he posted on social media, quote, this is what an actual attack on democracy looks like. I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary unless Trump is also allowed to be on the state's ballot. Uh, but obviously, you know, the, the, he will, you know, he's going to jump on to get to get attention in the moment. But the former Bush White House press secretary, Ari Fleischer, saying who exactly is the threat to democracy? It's Democrats. So you're seeing it from different ends of the Republican political spectrum is the point I'm making. Uh, what do you what do you think? Uh, and to what Scott's saying, does this take the wind out of the Nikki Haley surge we've seen? Because now Trump has this. Well, I think it's certainly, I agree with Scott, that is certainly some jet fuel for Donald Trump in Iowa, a state where he already has a commanding lead. And the fact that this is happening just, uh, you know, less than a month before the Iowa caucuses is pretty good timing on that front. You can keep beating this drum into uh, the the time of the voting, uh, making it very difficult for Ron DeSantis, most especially, who is desperate to show some strength in Iowa. Remember, he's put his entire campaign, put all the chips in the middle of the table here yeah. in Iowa. And now what everybody's going to be talking about, certainly for the immediate future, but could be going all the way into January and the caucuses, is what happened in Colorado. One thing I do want to point out, though, is the Supreme Court is likely, as you've noted in, in the show thus far, the Supreme Court is likely to weigh in here. We don't know when or what they will say. But let's be clear that when we're thinking about the long game, the Supreme Court is going to have a lot of influence in the 2024 election yeah. on the January 6th defense on the president's uh, legal team, the former president's legal team on presidential immunity, on the Mifepristone case and abortion. So the Supreme Court and other courts are going to be brought in to this election at different times. And I think you're going to see a surge and decline. Who does it interest or yeah. invigorate? Uh, one side will be one one case will be Democrats, the other Republicans. So, Scott, the numbers, as as Amy mentions in Iowa, it is a commanding lead for Trump coming into this. OK, 58 percent. He's got a majority of the likely Republican voters in the most recent poll. Like in New Hampshire, he's ahead, but he doesn't have a majority. Right. And he has been positioning Iowa as sort of the stronger he is there, he can just be done. He can just be done. So what does he do now to capitalize on this? What does he do tonight on that stage? Well, I think he uh, tells the people of Iowa uh, that everything I've told you is true. It's about, you know, and, and how do you know it's true? Because of what we're seeing in the news tonight and the Republican Party, 70 percent of the Republican Party nationally, according to all the polls, want me to be the nominee. We need to end this charade right now. You all need to send the message here in Iowa that this primary is over and give me the momentum to turn this off so we can focus all of our efforts on Joe Biden. If I were them, that is the message that I would use. And by the way, Joe Biden is out. Uh, his his principal message about 
Donald Trump is that Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy. Well, now Trump is going to tell the Republicans, who's a bigger threat to democracy, me or the people trying to keep me off the ballot out of a legitimate. And so uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, this gives him a chance yeah. to try to make Iowa uh, the end of this election. And, and Amy, can Iowa be the end of this election for Trump? I don't think it can be the end of the election because New Hampshire is just so different than Iowa. There are a lot more voters in New Hampshire who want to turn the page from Donald Trump, much more so than those who are sitting in Iowa. So I, I think he can win both. Ultimately, he's ahead in both, as we noted. Uh, but I think New Hampshire is really the place where we'll see whether any of the momentum for a somebody other than Trump candidacy, uh, which Haley is clinging on to right now, yeah. is gone. All right. Amy Scott, thank you both very much on this breaking news. And next, more breaking news this hour. New reporting that Israel is open to a pause in fighting in order to free more hostages. But the reporter who broke this story uh, can explain exactly how it's different than last time. And the Israeli ambassador to the United States will respond next. Plus, live pictures of the bottleneck at the U.S.-Mexican border. 13,000 migrants were apprehended in the past 24 hours. We're going to take you there to see it up close. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, ceasefire offer. Israel saying tonight it will pause fighting in Gaza for a week in exchange for the release of nearly 40 hostages. Longtime Israeli reporter Barak Ravid just breaking that news moments ago. He reports that the hostages would include the rest of the women Hamas is holding, men over 60 and others in need of urgent medical care. This comes as Israel's Channel 12 reports that the IDF recently reached two tunnels that they believe that the Hamas leader Yaha Sinwar was hiding in just before they arrived. So I want to go straight to Barak Ravid, our political and global affairs uh, analyst. So Barak, you are breaking uh, this news right now. Um, what more can you tell us about the details of this ceasefire and how it compares uh, to the last one? Good evening, Aaron. Well, this thing happened uh, yesterday in Warsaw uh, in a meeting that actually the director of CIA, Bill Burns, was uh, attending with the prime minister of Qatar and with the head of the Israeli Mossad spy agency. And the Israelis came to this meeting for the first time with a proposal for how to relaunch those talks that were not taking place for several weeks since the last ceasefire collapse. And the Israelis uh, came with a proposal that says, we're ready that for the release of 40 hostages that are, as you said, the women, the elderly, the sick ones, uh, to uh, um, agree for at least one week of ceasefire, maybe even more, by the way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all sorts of smaller stuff like more humanitarian aid, and, and other things. The Qataris are now taking this proposal to Hamas. Hamas until now refused to even relaunch talks. For mm. example, the Prime Minister of Qatar told the head of Mossad, uh, listen, Hamas says they want you to stop the war before they're uh, going back to talk. So the Mossad chief told them, if Hamas wants us to uh, end the yeah. war, they need to do two things. First, they need to um, 
lay down their arms. Second, they need to turn over all those who were responsible for the October 7th attack, something that obviously Hamas are not going to volunteer to do. No, but, but Barack, when you lay out the terms that you're saying that Israel uh, put forth, 40 hostages uh, in exchange for a week pause, that is um, much better terms for Hamas than the last time around in yep. terms of the number of Israeli hostages released over that time frame, isn't it? Exactly, because the last time uh, Israel agreed to a seven-day pause in return for his for 80 hostages now it's going it says it will agree to uh, at least a seven day pause for 40 hostages so i think this is uh, what israel is willing to do to try and sweeten the deal for hamas that again for the moment refuses to go back to the table and i think that this is a sort of um an attempt to sort of shaken up things and put hamas in front of a dilemma all right, Barack, thank you very much uh, for these breaking details. As I said, Barack Ravid breaking uh, the news of this proposed truce as well as all of the details. So I want to go now to the Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Herzog. And ambassador, I very much appreciate your time. So you hear Barack Ravid's reporting. Obviously, uh, you know uh, the details of where this negotiation stands right now. How close are you to a deal with Hamas? Has there been any response uh, from this uh, proposal yesterday? So I'm not going to go into uh, specific details. I will say that Israel is willing to give a chance to another deal to release hostages, as many as possible. And if that includes uh, pausing the fighting, uh, then Israel is willing to go for that. I think it's premature to tell whether or not uh, we have a deal because uh, until now Hamas refused to do another deal. Yeah. They were hoping for a permanent ceasefire. But I hope that under the pressure of what we are doing on the ground, plus the pressure from the Qataris, uh, they will uh, agree to do a deal, but it's premature at this phase. Ambassador Brock was also reporting that for a seven-day pause in fighting, Israel had put forth, uh, your Mossad chief had put forth an offer for Hamas to release 40 hostages. Of course, the last time there was a seven-day pause, it was 80 hostages. Um, can you explain at all what the logic may be to giving the same amount of pause for, for, for half the number of hostages? So I'm not going to go into details and uh, discuss this in uh, public. I think these yeah. uh, things better be discussed behind closed doors, which is what we are doing. But we are hopeful that we can get a deal. All right. So it has, uh, of course, been two weeks now since Israel first said, or when we first got news, that the IDF forces had encircled uh, the Hamas leader in Gaza, Sinwar's house. Uh, there are reports now that IDF troops twice reached tunnels that they believe Sinwar was hiding in just before they got there, uh, Ambassador. How close have IDF troops come to Yaha Sinwar? Well, Sinar has many homes in Gaza, across the Gaza Strip, and go to some of them. We believe he's hiding uh, in a deep tunnel, and we hope to get uh, there as well. As we move along, uh, Hamas built over the years a huge complex of underground tunnels for its military purposes, over 500 kilometers, more than the New York Metro. It's a huge complex. As we go along, there's a learning curve. We learn more and more, we understand more, and we develop more methods to destroy this uh, tunnel system. And uh, we believe that sooner or later, we'll also get to Sinwa. 
Are you sure? You're saying you believe he's hiding in a deep tunnel. It sounds like you're sure from your intelligence ambassador that Sinwar is indeed still in Gaza. We believe he is. And if you capture and kill him, does that mark the end of the war as you see it? I believe it will shorten the war. We have to destroy their military capabilities, their military infrastructure. We have to remove that threat. Israel is not going to uh, live again with that kind of threat in its immediate neighborhood, uh, given the events of October 7th. So it's not only about the leadership, but it's also about the leadership. That is an important component of the picture. Mm. And if we get the leadership, I think it will shorten the war. So, Ambassador, Prime Minister Netanyahu met with family members of some of the hostages. <clears throat> Obviously, this has all taken on even, even more horrible context after the IDF uh, shot and killed three Israeli hostages who had emerged from a building. They were shirtless. They were uh, waving uh, an improvised white flag. One of them was not hit initially. Uh, two of the, the other two were killed, of course. But the one who was not hit ran to seek refuge and, and still ended up being shot and killed by Israeli troops. Now, I know, Ambassador, that the IDF says the mistake violated its rules of engagement. But a former IDF soldier, a member of the veterans organization Breaking the Silence named Ariel Bernstein, he spoke to the newspaper El Pais. He said that the Israeli army's instructions are essentially that anyone in the combat zone is a terrorist. And I wanted to give you a chance, uh, Mr. Ambassador, to respond to that, because the chain of events is currently known and put out by the IDF do seem to indicate that IDF troops did exactly what they intended to do in this situation. Well, I take issue with the contention that uh, in the IDF eyes, everyone in war zone is a terrorist. Uh, these are very complicated uh, situations for, for our soldiers. And uh, as a chief of staff of the IDF said publicly, this was a violation of the rules of the IDF. I was in uniform for many, many years. It does not represent the rules and the values of the IDF. It was a tragic mistake, a tragic mistake that we all mourn. But that is not representative of the rules of the IDF and its general conduct. People are, uh, you have young uh, soldiers uh, endangering their lives fighting terrorists. These are very complicated situations and I think we should uh, not uh, judge there from uh, far away. Uh, at the same time, this was a tragic mistake which is being investigated. And I say again and again, it does not represent the rules of the IDF. All right, Ambassador Herzog, I appreciate your time tonight, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. And next, we have live pictures from the U.S.-Mexico border. Migrants there are, are holed up at a border crossing. What is behind the incredible surge of humanity that we are seeing right now? Arosa Flores is there. Plus, more live pictures out of Iceland where a massive eruption, volcanic, is underway. Lava, toxic gas now spewing into the air. And our Fred Pleiken is at that volcano live. Tonight, immigration showdown. Texas Governor Greg Abbott now being sued over his new law giving local police the power to arrest migrants and send them to Mexico. The federal lawsuit filed as there's a major surge at the U.S. southern border. CNN learning tonight that nearly 13,000 migrants, 13,000, have been apprehended in the past 24 hours. That's an 80% increase from last week. And these numbers, though, no matter how you look at it, relatively or absolutely are enormous. 
Rosa Flores is out front in Eagle Pass, Texas. And Rosa, you are there. Uh, there is a large crowd of migrants behind you as you have been there these past few hours. What is happening now? Well, thousands of migrants are waiting to be transported for immigration processing. But let me set the tone here, Aaron, because really what is happening in Eagle Pass, Texas right now, this is the epicenter of the broken federal immigration system colliding with a state, the state of Texas, wanting to take matters into its own hands. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look over my shoulder and you'll see that there are thousands of migrants here. I can see women, children, men. And right now what you're looking at is a federal issue. The federal government has to process these migrants, hold these migrants. But Governor Greg Abbott has just signed SB4. This creates a new crime for illegal entry into the state of Texas. And what you're looking at could become a state issue. Now, this law is expected to go into effect in March. But as you mentioned, Aaron, it is already caught in a legal battle. We'll see what happens there. But local communities are very concerned about this becoming a state issue. Why? I talked to the local sheriff. He says his deputies are not trained in immigration law. And he says his jails don't have room to jail all of the people that you see behind me. So We have no training of immigration laws, you know. Plus, where are we going to put them? Uh, we don't have the, 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 the space in my jail. We have to take them somewhere else. Now, Aaron, this SB4 law does not have uh, monies for local governments for police training. That's one concern. Now, back to the lawsuit. Governor Greg Abbott issuing a statement saying that this law is constitutional and that he plans to fight it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Court's going to be busy. So why are all the people behind you outside, Rosa? I mean, obviously, it looks very improvised in terms of the uh, red netting or the orange netting, right, that they have up to sort of even create lines. And the easy answer is that Border Patrol is overwhelmed. Right now, there's about 23,000 migrants in Border Patrol custody. And Aaron, that doesn't include all the migrants that you see behind me. The holding capacity for Border Patrol is actually 10,000. So think about that. There's already 23,000 people in custody. So why this backup and this bottleneck? There's a few reasons. Um, of course, there's flow, capacity, and also the Biden administration is trying to impose legal consequences to a legal entry. Aaron. Rosa, thank you very much in Eagle Pass tonight. And next, Iceland. We're going to take you live there. The major eruption is still taking place, and our Fred Pleiken is right near that volcano. He's next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.